every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mountain fixed upon it mount of thy redeeming love here I raise my Ebenezer hither by thy help uncome and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to thee. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to Mr. Elliott, would you pray for us? Yes, sir. Thank you, Lord, for church. Thank you that we're here today, Lord, mm. desiring to be filled with your mm. word and your truth. Lord, uh, pray for those that couldn't make it today, that you just be with them, Lord, for whatever reason it is. Lord, we're praying to hear from you today. We pray to be with Pastor as he preaches the word of God. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, please stay standing and turn your hymn books to number 270. 270. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. Amen. 270. It's not? Oh, did I actually? Not 270? Okay. Uh, he has my soul. Okay, I guess I must have found it in the wrong index. Sorry about that. Okay, wonderful. That's a good word for wonderful Savior. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful Savior? Yeah. Number A. Yeah. A. Wonderful Savior. There we go. We got it. Mr. No. Jesus, my Lord. Hmm. So weird. Yeah, it's well, the same thing. They just—it's a different title. Oh. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Confusing. In the index, yeah. it says a wonderful savior, but then on the actual 270, it says he hides my soul. That yeah, is very confusing. He hides my soul. That's what it is. Okay. 
Alright, we're ready now. Ready? Keep turning me. <laughs> wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty Hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. He taketh my burden away. singing you may be seated all right we'll have pastor come up do announcements oh 
Okay, well, it is good to be here this morning. Good to have you all here today. Good to have Brother Elliot up from Florida for the weekend. Well, for the next better part of the next week, I suppose. And to have some folks who haven't been here for a little while, a visitor, and all kinds of all kinds of exciting stuff today. So, um, just a few announcements this morning. One, continue praying about our building project. Still underway and making progress on that. So. Pray God continues to lead and open doors and uh, continue moving things in the right direction. Uh, Saturday morning, outreach, so that's at 9.30 a.m. for those who can come. Um, also, April 4th, um, 7 p.m., that's a Tuesday night. We do our, our Lord's Supper communion service um, Tuesday before Easter. Um, having studied it out, I believe that's when um, the... Christ and the disciples actually did it, so um, that's why we do it that night. Um, so that is a Tuesday night, April 9th. That following Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Um, so that day, what we're going to do, instead of Sunday school, those who want to come will have a brunch. So we'll do like, we usually have some quiches and some baked goods. We'll have kind of a breakfast uh, that morning, breakfast brunch-ish, I guess. It'll be like 9.30. Um, and then we'll do our morning service, and I know a lot of folks have plans after that, so we'll, we'll just have that be our day on Resurrection Sunday. So after the morning service, um, if you have stuff going on, you can call it a day. So, and then the next day, April 10th, is ladies' meeting. That's at 6 p.m. So it's getting to be the time of year when things are picking up. I'm uh, about this close to having our spring uh, meeting planned, April 2nd. So... Uh, the Sunday before Lord's Supper, we have Pastor Wiley coming and doing a baby dedication with the twins. Um, so we'll have that happening that day. Um, later, I think it's the end of April, we have uh, at Churchill, anybody who wants to participate, they have a Friday, Saturday. Of course, Sunday will be at our church. But so Friday, Saturday, they're assembling Gospel John and Romans with, uh, do you know Brother Sandy from New York? Um, he's with uh, Bearing Precious Seeds. but. He travels around, they assemble Gospel John and Romans, they print them through the Barren Precious Seed, but they have churches help them put them together. They cut them, they put them together, you know, the whole thing, and then they get boxed up by, I think, the hundreds, and then those eventually, they either get shipped overseas or go to church planters, or they're used for ministry, so it's an opportunity to help with that. Uh, and then sometime in early May, I'm shooting to plan our uh, spring meeting. So um, I'm just waiting to get a date, a final date from the guest speaker. So anyways, lots of stuff kind of coming up that's going to happen soon. And, and then in June, uh, as of right now, the plan is Brother Ronald is going to come and put a slab in for us and put a septic system in for us. And then it'll be framing walls and putting trusses and all that fun stuff and sheathing and roofing and all that good stuff. So prayerfully by wintertime, we'll have the building all closed in and uh, ready to start working inside for the winter. So that's the goal. Prayerfully the Lord helps us because we're going to need his help to accomplish it all. But he's helped us this far and he's provided, you know, a number of things that way. And uh, the end of, I think, either late April, early, mid to late April, early May, um, I was talking with Brother Ronald just a, a couple few weeks ago at the sports banquet, and uh, he asked me, he says, what size do you say the building was again? And it's 115 by 50, basically. 
And, uh, and he said, how many two by eights did I give you? And I said, 200. And he's already told me this, but he w I think this was his way of reiterating it. I said, 200. And he says, you're going to need more than that to frame it up. He goes, you're going to need about 300. He says, why don't you, he said, probably late, mid to late April, early May, once things are cleaned up from the mud and, you know, we're kind of getting to the tail end of that. He says, why don't you come out? We'll get you that other 100 two by eights. And, uh, you know, he's got somebody that wants to buy them. He could sell them all right now, but he said, I told him he's got to wait until I've done what I'm going to do with them. And he said, and, and one of the things I want to do with them is see to it that you guys have what you need to get your outside walls framed up. So, um, and then once, uh, once we nail down the layout of the building, we'll have the septic designer come out and make a couple altercations and he's going to put the septic system in for us too. We just got to get the materials. So just a blessing. God is faithful. He's providing. He's seeing to it that we have the things we need, and no doubt. Uh, you know, and I was thinking about this the other day, not, not to be boastful or prideful or anything like that, but I was thinking about what we have in the area for churches, so to speak, and for church buildings, and at least in the greater unity area. When we have this building done, we'll have the nicest facility in the area for churches, you know, and I just got thinking about that, and the Lord knows what we need. He knows what the next several years are going to bring. Maybe there's going to be people looking for a church that God will use the fact that we've got a nice, beautiful building that's new to cause some people to say, I need to find a church. I'm going to go check out that one that just built that beautiful building, you know, and maybe God will use that to, to bring some people in. And, uh, you know... Honestly, <laughs> we have visitors come now and they see the trailer and they assume my family lives there. So when we tell them, come on in, love to have you, restrooms are next door, and they look at us like, I'm not going in your house. So we're, we don't live there, just to be clear, that's not our home. And they still look at us cross-eyed like, are you telling me the truth right now? We want to be, we're church, we're not going to lie to you. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, well, I mean, it's true, but we wouldn't lie to you anyways, even if we weren't in church. But just to be clear, we're not lying, it's not our house. Um, so anyways, we, uh, I think all those things are going to help, you know, uh, so anyways, prayerfully, the Lord will help us see, see it done. I'd love to be in there, uh, you know, next year, spring, summer, fall, whenever the Lord helps us out to get that done, have the trailer hauled away and parking lot expanded some and it'd be a real blessing. So anyways, exciting stuff coming in the future. Um, I think I announced, <coughs> excuse me, everything that we've got right now. Uh, men's prayer breakfast will be the last Sunday of the month. I didn't put it on there yet. What did I say? Sunday. Sun last Saturday of the month. That's what I meant. Just to be clear. Thank you, Brother Andy. Uh, I looked up the date, and I'm like, we got a lot of announcements. I'll wait next week or the week after when we knock some stuff off of here. We'll put it on there. But I'm telling you anyway, so I should have just put it on there. Um, and I'll, I'll mention this again just I know it's a ways out, but if I start planting the seed now, maybe we'll have some, some interest. But family camp is going to be September 13th to 16th this year. The theme is profitable out of 2 Timothy 3.16. My suspicion is it's going to be on the scripture since 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Uh, so my suspicion is it will be somewhere along those lines. Um, I know I said this last week, but our family's been helped every year. We've been blessed by it. Our kids have built some friendships um, with other Christian teens that love the Lord. And, uh, you know, it's just a good opportunity for us to go and spend time with some other Christians that maybe we don't see all the time. 
but that love the Lord and are there because they want to grow and they want their families to grow. And, uh, you know, we've, uh, <coughs> we've had a lot of opportunities to minister in a lighthearted way. You know, a couple of years ago, we had this young couple. I don't know that they're a lot younger than we are, but their kids are younger than ours. Come and, and just say, can we sit with you for breakfast? And we said, sure. And they said, what do you, you know, talk to us about how you're raising your kids. And it was just a blessing to our heart, you know, that they came and wanted to, they were interested and wanted to ask questions and talk with us about things. And anyway, just a blessing. We've just seen God do things in people's lives and work through it. So I'd encourage you, if you come, all the meetings are outside under the tent, which is just kind of fun. Uh, the music is, they do have a piano player, and then they got guys who can't play the guitar but pretend to like me and then they got some that actually can play the guitar and they got mandolins and violins and the whole whole thing so it's fun anyways all right uh, that's the last pitch for a little while i'll put that next door on the table in the foyer uh, but i think that's all i've got for announcements it certainly should be so ushers come on down if you would caleb can you pray for the offering bud yes sir God, thank you for this time to stay, Lord. Please bless the offering, Lord. Please um, touch our hearts through the message, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me one more time. We're going to have one more hymn. Please turn your hymn books to number 34. Hopefully, well, the other one was correct, but hopefully it doesn't change the wording on me this time around. 34, how great thou art. Amen. Feel the 
As I said, it's good to have you all here today. Good to be in the Lord's house and to have the opportunity to look into His Word. We are going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter number 5, if you would. Ephesians 
was talking with my brother-in-law yesterday, who's also a pastor, and we were talking about, you know, how sometimes things move along slowly when you're preaching through a book of the Bible, and I was telling him, I'm, you know, working on trying to find the balance of how much to put in and how many verses to cover and all that kind of stuff, and he goes, yeah, it's hard. He goes, that's why we started preaching through the book of Psalms back in, I think he said June of 2018, and we're just in Psalm 86 right now, and I'm like, five years, you made it all just to Psalm 86. I don't know if it would take me that long or not. Maybe it would. I don't know, but um, anyways, it can be time-consuming, but all right, Ephesians chapter number five, let's go ahead and stand together, <coughs> out of respect for the reading of God's word. We'll read verses 6 through 10. I know we went through last to verse 6 last week, so we won't take a long time on that verse, but it kind of brings us into this week. And actually, you know what? I'm going to do something different than I planned. Let's read 1 through 10, because it does set the context for where we are going this morning. And, and uh, you know, it. I don't plan to review what we did the last couple weeks, but it, it touches on some of those things. So, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord." Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. That's where we'll stop for this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, again, the privilege that we have to assemble together, to worship you, to praise you, to study your word, and to see how you want us, your children, to live, how you want uh, people to live. And Lord, first and foremost, you show us in your word how we can know that we have a personal relationship with you, how we can be saved. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, I pray, as it says in Corinthians, that uh, behold, now is the day of salvation. I pray that today would be the day. And Lord, I just pray you'd apply your word to our hearts. I pray you'll convict us. You'll convince us of the truth. Lord, those who are here that know you as their personal Savior, would you work in our hearts and help us to see what we might need to change, how we might need to grow, areas that maybe we need to, to do some work on. And Lord, uh, all of this just so we can honor and please you. That should be our, our life's work to glorify you, to please you, uh, Lord, because you've done everything for us. Without you, we have nothing. Father, we just prayed work this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, if you remember, we talked about, the last several weeks, we've talked about uh, back a while ago, putting off the old man, putting on the new man, and putting away some things that we need to put away uh, that are old man behaviors. 
And then last week we talked about those things, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, and letting it not be once named among us as Christians, or filthiness, foolish talking, or jesting. And it says that they are the things that the wrath of God is going to come upon the children of disobedience, those who don't know Him as their personal Savior, that are living in those things. I mean, really what's going to cause the wrath of God is unbelief, right? The fact that they have not trusted Him as their personal Savior. But those are the behaviors that they are familiar with and are known for the other things that were mentioned, you know, the foolish talking, filthiness, uncleanness, all that stuff. Well, for us as Christians, it was saying we shouldn't do those same things. They should not once be named among us because we are not what we used to be. Now, understand, before we got saved, those things may have been commonplace for us. I don't know. Uh, I was 13 when I got saved, so I didn't have a lot of time to get into too much trouble, but I had plenty of time to get into sin, don't get me wrong. I still had sin in my life, and I still needed Christ as my personal Savior, or I would not be going to heaven when I die. Uh, I still need, Elijah was five years old when he got saved. He still was a sinner, and knew he was a sinner, and needed Christ to save his soul. So uh, it doesn't matter how old we are or how young we are, but understand some of those things, at five years old or 13 years old, we didn't have a lot of time to you know, get into some of that stuff. That being said, as Christians, as we grow and mature, we still get tempted by those things, don't we? We can get tempted by those things. Why is that? Well, because of the old man that we were told to put off. Put off the old man and put on the new. We still carry around the old nature, the old man, even as Christians. We still carry around the flesh and those carnal desires, so we have to battle that every single day. Uh, but God doesn't want us to be acquainted or to be identified by those same things that those who don't know Him as their Savior are known for. He wants us to be different, in other words. He wants us to be separated. He wants us to be set apart. And uh, this morning, we still kind of touch on that, but we're taking a little bit different approach. Instead of listing all the things we're not supposed to do, we start focusing on how we can live as the new man. All right, so verse number six, briefly, said, uh, I haven't given you any notes, have I? Here we go. Let, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. We've talked about that. Can we be deceived? Well, let's look over at Psalm 73. Uh, I know it's a big psalm, but we're going to... I mean, it's not really that big. Psalms are short, and the verses are, are fairly short. But Asaph... This is a psalm of Asaph. God used him to pen these words. And Asaph was a, uh, was a musician, one of the chief musicians in David's, uh, King David's, uh, whatchamacallit, his, I don't want to call it his band, his orchestra, or whatever, if you will. So, in their musical worship, he had some chief musicians, and they were appointed because of their relationship with God. They were appointed because of their abilities and their talents and their knowledge. But he had them play the music. And Asaph, now, you know what the Psalms are? The Psalms are songs that were sung by David and, and the nation of Israel in their worship to God. That's what song, Psalms are. They were sung as songs. Um, and this is one that Asaph wrote. And in, it, in the Psalms, we often get testimonies of the men who 
penned then. So David, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is writing things that God wants him to write to reveal to us things that are, will be a help to us, to reveal to us. We don't realize it all the time, but there's a lot of prophetic truth in the Psalms. Um, but here, Asaph, God has him kind of bear some things from his heart. It says, Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. He's a godly man, a Christian man, a spiritual man. I understand this is before Christ, but I believe he's in heaven. He says, My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say... How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Can I tell you, there are plenty of ungodly who do not prosper in the world. But there are many ungodly who do. And sometimes those ones that do, they've got a, they've got a platform. And they, they have recognition. And it may seem as though they have honor. I read a quote this week, and I do not remember where I read it. It was in a book, but I don't remember which book it was. And I can't quote it perfectly. I wish I had written it down or taken a picture of it or something and had it for this morning. But it was from, it was, I want to say it was back in the, somewhere between the 40s and the 60s. And it was a U.S. governor, not a governor, a senator or a congressman. I want to say he might have been Speaker of the House or something like that. He had a position of authority. Uh, I, th I think I'm vaguely remembering where it was. Maybe I'll find it later. But um, he was speaking of our economics. I don't remember where I got it. I saw it somewhere. Anyways, and he was talking about our finances, the national finances, and he said something to the effect of, as long as our finances are going well and we have a person who is going to who is going to do good for our country financially and it says whether it be God or the devil we will welcome him in with open arms or something like that. So essentially they said as long as he's going to do good for us financially it doesn't matter if it's God or the devil we're going to welcome him in and love him because he's blessing us financially. And sadly a lot of people who are I don't know what you want to call them high tier, politically, financially, whatever you want to call it, that would be their testimony. They don't care if it's God or Satan, as long as their wallet is fat and their bank account is overflowing, they don't care what they do, if it's good or bad. And to many people, here Asaph's testimony is, to him, to many people, it seemed like, you know what, they're foolish when it comes to spiritual things. You know what the, who the Bible says is foolish? 
It says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. That's what the Bible calls foolish. So it would seem that they're foolish, and yet they have an abundance. And sometimes people will think, well, why would God bless them? They're so wicked. They're so terrible. Well, he causeth the rain to fall on the wicked and the good. I forget the exact quote. But basically, he doesn't look at people's life and say, you do good things, so I'm going to give you an abundance. You do terrible things, I'm going to take it and make you poor and, and miserable. That's not what God does. It's not how he does things. And we think sometimes, well, if I was God, I would just curse those people and I'd bless the other ones. Well, we're not God. And God has infinite wisdom over what we have. So we don't always understand and can't comprehend. But sometimes we wish, man, this person is doing such terrible things. I just wish God would kind of grind them a little bit. and Maybe they'd wake up and come to their senses. But sometimes he does. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes he does. But he doesn't always. But as Christians, when we're not doing what's right, that's exactly what he does. <laughs> he kind of grinds us until we come around and snap out of whatever we're doing that we shouldn't be. And we are miserable. And I think that's what Asaph's talking about. He's saying, you know, the people who don't have a relationship with God can do whatever they want and, they can, and it doesn't phase them. They don't care. Now understand, there are moral people. There are people who are raised morally, who are taught morally, and they're moral. So they, they do a lot of good things and they do a lot of the right things. But that's not the same as having the Holy Spirit because we're saved and we're born again and we have the Holy Spirit working in us to produce right things through our life, which we'll be seeing here in the, in the message this morning in a few moments. There's a difference. I heard Brother Mark preach a message, and uh, he preached it to teens, but then he preached it at a church service, and he said, are you a good man or are you a godly man? And there's a difference. There's a lot of good men out there who do good things, who do good works, who are kind, who are genuine, who are honest. They're good, but they're not godly because they don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. They're not saved. They're not born again. Uh, so there's a difference there. We don't want to just be good. We want to be godly. And uh, that's, that takes a difference. So Asaph's saying, hey, I saw the world. I saw all the things it seemed to have. I saw the lack of turmoil and difficulties. And I'll be honest, my foot nigh slipped. I was really drawn into that. Verse 13, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. You know who God chastens? According to Hebrews, those he considers his children, those who are his children. That's who he chastens. He doesn't chasten people who aren't his children. He chastens those who are his sons and daughters, those who are his children. If I say... I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. He says, I had to go get alone with God because I was so, mm, I just wanted what they had. I was so distracted and so tempted and so drawn into it. And I was miserable with this struggle and God was chastening him because he wanted what he wasn't supposed to have, and he thought that's what he was, was desiring, but in reality, what he had was far better. But sometimes we can be so drawn by that, and he's saying, I had to get alone with God. I had to enter into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. It's kind of what we're talking about in Ephesians, when it says, let these things not once be named among you, 
They might satisfy our flesh for a time, and it might seem like they're, they're good because they, they please our flesh for a little while. But when it comes to us being chastened by God and dealing, we're going to be miserable, and it's not worth it. The little pleasure of sin for a season is not worth it. And that's what Asaph is realizing here. This is what he's, because he understands their end. You know what it says? Because the wrath of God is prepared against the children of disobedience. That's the end that he's saying, I recognized, I realized. That while it might seem like life is great for them now, it's not going to be. Verse 18, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream, when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Hallelujah. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's all I need. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Asaph had a little personal revival moment. Sometimes we need those. we got to be reminded through the chastening of the Lord that, you know what, while I was tempted by that stuff, it is just not worth it because what I have is so wonderful and great, I need to be thankful for it. All right, so we don't want to associate with those children. I don't even know what i got up here. Romans 1.18, if you want to turn over there, Romans 1.18. Wowzers, can't seem to find my place. I don't have the excuse of a new Bible. I've been using this one for a while, Brother Elliot. But <laughs> Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They had the truth, they held it, but they held it in unrighteousness. They rejected it and chose to continue living in their sin. Colossians 3, 6, I'll just read this to you. It says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. We kind of read that in our Ephesians passage too. This should be enough information to make us realize we should not be partakers. We should avoid those things. We should stay away from them. We should want nothing to do with them. Verses 8 and 9 in Ephesians, by the way. Uh, I took my marker out. Ephesians 5, verses 8 and 9. Yeah, verse 7 said, Be not therefore partakers with them. That's what that was from. Verse 8 and 9. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We're going to stop there for right now. So we used to be darkness. But praise God, once we're saved, we are no longer darkness, but we are Light in the Lord. What a blessing. It was the ministry. So God gave the Apostle Paul a ministry, and the ministry was specifically to show people how they could come out of darkness 
and into light. In Acts 26, 18, uh, we'll turn there quickly. I think this is, a, this is a fun one to see, and it's not too far away. Acts 26 and verse number 18. Paul is sharing his testimony before King Agrippa, and as he's sharing his testimony uh, here in this passage, this is something that Christ specifically said to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus when he got saved. And he's telling him what his plans were for him. And he says, I'm going to send you, verse 17, deliver thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. He says, Paul, I'm going to send thee to the Gentiles. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. If you don't know who a Gentile is, it's you and I. Everyone in this world who is not Jewish is a Gentile. So I think, to my knowledge, we're all Gentiles. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Uh, and you're, you're Jewish, that's perfectly fine too. Uh, but verse 18 says, to open their eyes. That's why we say people are, you know, we're blinded before we, we realize the truth. And to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan, that's the darkness, unto God, he's the light. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. It was Christ speaking, the faith is in Christ. We have to place our faith in him. So that was Paul's ministry. Now that we're no longer darkness but light, we ought to live and walk as children of light. It should change our walk. That's what we've been talking about for a while. It should change. And our walk is not talking about the steps that we physically take walking down the road. I could probably have a better stride or whatever you want to call it, but uh, that's not the walk it's talking about. It's talking about the way we live our lives. It should change how we live our lives. It should change our marriage. It should change our, how we raise our kids. If a child gets saved, it should change their relationship with their parents. Uh, it should change how we do our jobs and our work. It should change how we treat people. It should change the relationships that we have with people. It may cause us to have to end some relationships, and it may cause us to have some new relationships. But it should change, should change every area of our lives. But as I said in the beginning, we still carry around the old flesh. We still have that old baggage that we're lugging around with us, and that old flesh that still craves and desires the things that we ought not to partake of or be a part of as Christians. There is that daily battle. So... Uh, we have to wrestle with that. In Philippians, the next book from Ephesians, if we look over in Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 15. <coughs> It says that ye may be blameless and harmless. This is how God wants His children to be. Blameless and harmless. The sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. We ought to be, we ought to stand out and not be able to be rebuked for how we're living our lives. Even though we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse, says nation, we, 
It's true, ain't it? We could say we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Whether you look at that as the United States of America, whether you look at that as the generation that we're a part of, uh, however you want to look at it, the world is crooked and perverse. We should not be crooked and perverse with them. We should be different. So, John 12, 6. Uh, sorry, 1246. It's up on the screen if you want to save you from turning. It says, I am come a light into the world. This is Christ speaking, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. How do we avoid being in the darkness? Through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is how we get out of the darkness and into the light. So we know from Galatians, next screen here, we know from Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. What's it say in verse 9? For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Everyone wants to be good, right? Everyone wants to be good. Everyone wants to be righteous. That just means that we do things that are right. Kind of goes along with good, but it's a little different. We want to be truthful. And we can put forth our best efforts to do those things. But you know what it says? If I remember correctly, it's in Jeremiah. What the Bible says about our righteousnesses, it says, all our, uh, I think it says your, all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Maybe it says our, I don't remember. And that might be Isaiah, not Jeremiah. But it's in one of those two Old Testament books. Our best efforts at good works done in the flesh are filthy rags. Why? Because we still have sin. Sin overshadows our good works. So there is no scale of uh, good works and, and bad works and, and this measuring system. It doesn't exist. There's not a good works, bad works measuring system. Uh, according to God, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Our best efforts at living righteous, our best efforts at living good apart from Him are filthy rags. They, they will never amount to enough. Why? Because God cannot allow sin in heaven. So because He can't allow sin in heaven, our good works, they're, they're worthless in getting us to heaven. So how do we get to heaven? Well, there's only one who's ever lived on this earth that's been good enough to get to heaven. Now, he was God in human flesh, but he lived a life that qualified him to go to heaven. He's the only one ever to live on this earth in the flesh that's been good enough. So that one person, Jesus Christ, John chapter 1, uh, John chapter 2 actually calls him our propitiation. It means he's the only acceptable substitute. That one person who was good enough and could have gone to heaven and left all of us here in our sins and said, see you later, bye. You're all a bunch of uh, punks. And I lived my life and I tried to lead you to me and I tried to get you to receive me as your king and I tried to get you to honor me and worship me, but you all rejected me and I'm going back to my father and we're going to wipe this earth clean and start all over again. He could have done that, but he didn't. You know what he did? He took your sins and my sins on himself. And he said, I love them. The Father said, well, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Father loved you and me. The Son 
loved you and me. The Bible says, uh, here in, uh, no, how does it say it? Here in his love? No. Well, it says that, I think I got it in here somewhere, but I'm like throwing the notes out the window, so forgive me if the screen doesn't match up with stuff I'm saying. Oh, look at that. John 3.16 is right up there. I was going there anyways. John 15, 13. Look at this one with me. This is actually, I think, the verse I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this. That's what I was trying to remember. And I don't even know if that's it here. But I think it is. Yes, it is. Couldn't think of how it started. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That is the perfect and the most uh, sincere demonstration of love, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know the first time love is in the Bible? I skipped over this before. It's in Genesis 22.2. It says, And he said, this is God speaking to Abraham, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, first time love is in the Bible, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. You think it's a mistake that the first time love is in the Bible is when he is pointing to the fact that Abraham, the father, loved his son and then was going to offer him on an altar? You think that is a mistake or an accident or coincidence? Nope. I believe it was on purpose. God wanted us to understand love. And that perfect love is demonstrated by what he did for us, what his son did for us. And when you study love in the Bible, that's where it begins, is a father's love for his son. Yet, he was willing to offer him as a sacrifice. We know he didn't have to, because God provided himself a ram, which he did for you and I as well. All right, where are we here? So... <clears throat> When we are saved, when we're born again, the Bible tells us that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, I think. And sealed simply means that we have, uh, well, just like in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, just like in the old days, kings had a seal. It was a, it was a symbol. They had their seal. The state of Maine has a seal. It's that little dirigo emblem with the man there with the stuff and uh, <clears throat> whenever you get something from the state of Maine it always has the state seal on it so you know it comes from the state uh, I don't think that it always has the seal anymore but it always used to when a king in the old days would send a letter they would seal it with hot wax and he would they would press the seal from his ring into it and when it was received people could look at that and see the stamp and go oh that's the king's seal I know that came right from him well the Holy Ghost is in you and I and it is the seal that marks us as God's children, as God's child. And the Holy Spirit wants to produce things in and through our lives. He wants to produce, call, the Bible calls it, the fruit of the Spirit in you and I. Well, what are those things? The first one is joy. Over in Galatians 5, I don't know if I put it in. Yeah, I, I'm just skipping all over the place. Forgive me. Galatians 5, I guess I'm more excited about preaching today than I realize. Galatians 5 and verse number 22 and 23, it tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, that same passage also talks about the works of the flesh. And you know what's on those? Some of the things that we've been talking about in the book of Ephesians. And it also says the flesh and the Spirit are contrary the one to the other. Well, the works of the flesh are contrary to the fruits of the Spirit as well. They are opposite, and they are uh, opposed to one another. So, in regards to joy, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 66. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 66. <clears throat> It says, on the eighth day, he sent the people away, and they blessed the king, and went unto their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had done for David, his servant, and for Israel, his people. You know, I believe real joy comes as a result of our gratitude to God for the blessings that he has given us. If we want to have real joy, we've got to focus on what we have in Christ and not what is going on in the world, not what we have or don't have in this world. We have to focus on the goodness that we have from God, our salvation, our family, an eternal home in glory. I mean, there, that's just a few, a church family, people who love us, a God who loves us, even though we don't deserve it. I mean, the list could go on and on. There are so many things we have, so many blessings we have in Christ. When we focus on them, we can have real joy. But when we get distracted by other things, we don't. The second thing is peace. I didn't do this for all of them, but Webster's 1828 says that peace is, uh, in a general sense, a state of quiet or tranquility, freedom from disturbance or agitation applicable to society, to individuals, or to the temper of mind. A mind is where we often lack peace, isn't it? I mean, life rarely has peace. But we can have mental, spiritual peace, however you want to place it. But that can only be through Jesus Christ. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. When we love God's law, what's God's law? Well, it's His Word. That's what it's talking about. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the whole Bible. Over 150, over 160. Well, that was 165, so you can tell. There's a lot of verses. And in all those verses, I think there's a total of seven that don't reference the Word of God in some way, shape, or form. They call it His precepts, His Word, His commandments, His statutes. Right. The law, his law, it's the Word of God chapter. And he says when we love his law, when we love his word, we'll have great peace. And nothing will offend us. A good way to not have peace is to be offended, isn't it? When we're offended by someone or by something, we lack peace. First John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. When we love his law, when we love him, 
I don't think we can love one without the other. We love his law when we love him, we'll have peace. Because obeying him and living our life the way he wants us to, being the different person that he saved us and wants us to be, will not be grievous for us. It's when it's grievous for us that we don't have peace. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. What is long-suffering? Uh, well, let's look at numbers. Actually, I'll read numbers out of my notes. We'll look at the First Timothy one afterwards. Numbers 14, 18 says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children upon the third and fourth generation. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Remember that. 1 Timothy 1. Let's look over here. 1 Timothy 1. <clears throat> Verses 15 and 16. It says, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I, whom I am chief. Verse 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. What is long-suffering? Well, I'll, I got one more verse up here on the screen. 2 Peter 3.15, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Well, where did he write it? Well, we just read it over there in was it 2 Timothy, right? 1 Timothy 1.15 and 16. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Well, what did Paul do? He persecuted the church. He saw to it that Christians were being Churches were being broken up. Christians were being thrown in prison. Some were killed and martyred for their faith. And Paul stood by and watched and allowed and approved. When Stephen, one of the first deacons, was stoned to death for preaching, Paul stood by the coats of the men who threw the stones and watched and consented unto it as they killed him by throwing rocks at him until the point that he finally died. He was okay with it. That was the Apostle Paul. He was called Saul before God changed his name. That was Saul who later became the Apostle Paul. That was his testimony. That was his life. When he got saved, he was on his way to Damascus to go find all the Christians that he possibly could and haul them out of their houses and haul them out of their churches and throw them into prison. That's what he was doing. And he believed he was doing it for God, and he was zealous over it, and he was excited over it, and he believed he was doing right until God met him on the road to Damascus. So what's he saying? That God was long-suffering. Why? Because he deserved to be cast into hell for persecuting the church, for persecuting Christ, for persecuting Christians. But God was long-suffering. He allowed him to do those things until the time where he would get saved. Well, same is true for you and me. When I was young, I was a sinner. And I lived in my sins, and I loved my sins, and I committed sins, and I was guilty before God. Was I a bad kid? Well, ask my mom. She'll tell you. She said no. <laughs> so I was not a bad kid. <laughs> right. That's why I said, ask my mom. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> She'll tell you what I want her to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> before God, if I had to stand before God, before I got saved, he would have said, 
well, by man's standards, you weren't a bad kid, but by my standards, your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I'm sorry, but depart from me, for I never knew you. And I'd, been a, I'd have been cast in the lake of fire. Because even though I wasn't a bad kid by man's standards, by my mom's standards, in God's eyes, I still was a, a sinner, and I was guilty. Guilty as charged. But when I was 13 years old, I sat in a, at a basketball tournament. I sat during the intermission and listened to an evangelist give up, stand up and give the gospel and tell me, remind me something that I already knew but hadn't truly resonated with me. That I was a sinner. And my, sinners came, my, sins, my sins came between me and God. They separated me from Him. And while I knew that, I hadn't really understood it. And that I needed my sins to be washed away so that I could be eternally saved. And it was in that moment that I realized, wow, I know I'm a sinner, but God is offended at my sins. And I actually felt sorry for them. It was in that moment that I felt bad about my sins and was sorry to God for what I had done against Him. And that conviction... Those, uh, that understanding that I had wronged God in spite of the fact He sent His Son to die on the cross for my sins, that I had wronged Him, and I realized that, and I recognized it, that I could come before Him and ask Him for forgiveness. Because I knew in that moment that I needed it. Because my sins were wrong, and they had offended Almighty God. That's what I needed. But I thank God that He was long-suffering to me. And He gave me time to come to that realization. God is good. All right, that's long-suffering. He could wipe us out because He gives us time. Gentleness. What is gentleness? Well, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. When the Apostle Paul went into Thessalonica and would preach to them and minister to them, he says, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse, even as a mother who's nursing her child is gentle. 2 Timothy 2.24, uh, I'll turn there, you, don't, you can if you want. 2 Timothy 2.24 says this, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach patient. Good stuff. Titus 3.2, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. You know what we want to do sometimes? We want to argue and fight over what we believe and, and what we know to be true, but three times we just read, we ought to be gentle. What are we on next? Goodness, right? Nope. Faith. I, I went right over goodness already. Did I talk about goodness? I skipped goodness. Now, if only I can find it. Ha, there it is. It's on the same screen. I just missed it. Goodness. For goodness sake. No, I'm just kidding. Goodness. We're going to talk about that. The very first thing God called good was light in Genesis 1-4. And God saw the light that it was good. What are we told to walk in? Light. What is God? Light, and in Him is no darkness. I don't think it's a coincidence. What is good? 
is light. And you know, before we're saved, we don't have the light in us. We can't be good in God's eyes. Genesis 2.17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, good and evil are contrary to each other. They're the opposites. So goodness are those things that are not evil. According to our passage in Ephesians, goodness can only truly be born through the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. We have to have the light in order to truly perform the good works that God wants us to. Faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. We'll turn over to Hebrews because we're going to look at two verses here. Hebrews 11. I was going to Hebrews 1. I don't know why, but Hebrews 11 1 is where we want to go. <clears throat> Hebrews 11 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance and evidence of things that we can't see but that we hope for, we believe. Faith causes us to do certain things. That's our theme this year, by faith, out of Hebrews 11. And when we study the book of uh, the chapter out of Hebrews, chapter 11, it's one thing after another. By faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did this. Through faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did this. It causes us to live a certain way. It causes us to behave a certain way. It causes us to act on things that maybe we don't know and can't see how it's going to come to fruition, but because of our faith, we decide we're going to step out and build a building that'll seat 112 people, though we might only have 25. We're going to build the building by faith because God has provided, He's continuing to provide, He's leading us to do it, and we're trusting that God is going to use that building for Him and His glory, and he, He's going to see to it that He adds to the church. Now, I sometimes look at it and I go, but it seems like every time he adds, <laughs> we see subtraction happen too. But we're by faith moving forward, and we're going to watch God do what he wants to do. And in the end, we're going to have a beautiful building sitting over here that we're going to be able to point to and say, God did that. We're going to be able to point to it and say, see how good God is? He just keeps blessing. Verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If we don't have faith, we can't please God. It is absolutely impossible. goes back to our works. You know what if, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says? For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, it's important that in, Ephesians, in, a, in Hebrews chapter 11, we understand all the things that those men and women did, and that are recorded in Ephesians chapter 11, they did them by faith. They didn't do them because they were hoping that it was going to achieve some special connection with them and God, or get them to heaven. They did them because of their faith in God, not because they were hoping for some reward. Well, it's by faith, through, uh, 
By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. All right, faith. We covered that one. Meekness. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. It carries with it a sense of humility. Meekness carries with it a sense of, uh, a sense of humility and understanding that we're not perfect. Uh, Galatians 6.1, right before the book of Ephesians. If you want to turn there, and then I'll read a couple out of my notes here. Galatians 6.1. If a man be overtaken in a fault, <coughs> brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. That spirit of meekness causes us to realize that we're not perfect. Causes us to realize that while I might be trying to help this person fix a fault in their life, my meekness causes me to realize I'm no better than them and I could find myself with that same fault if I'm not careful. It's the spirit of meekness that causes that humility and that spirit of coming in in love and in compassion. A uh, couple more I'll just read out of our notes. James 3.13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. You know, we might do some things for God. If we're going to talk about them, it should be with meekness of wisdom. God does it, not me. I don't, I don't ever want credit for anything. I... I just want him to get glory for whatever is done or accomplished here. I don't want anything to do with it. Just soon take my name out of it. 1 Peter 3, 4, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, in the sight of God of great price. God considers it very valuable a meek and quiet spirit. Temperance, the last one, uh, <clears throat> is to be mixed together. We've talked about this one before a few times. It's to be mixed together, to be tempered uh, like we temper steel. Uh, it's to be, uh, the purpose of the mixture is to make it stronger or better so that it doesn't rust, corrode, so that it's not as breakable. Um, Exodus 29.2, and unleavened bread and cakes unleavened. Hey, we're on my last page here. It's not even a full page. We're almost there. Tempered with oil and wafers, unleavened, anointed with oil of wheat and flour shalt thou make them. So we notice they're tempered with oil. They're mixed with oil. The flour is. That's what makes it tempered. So you and I are to be tempered by the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt by Him. We need to be tempered, mixed together, and He needs to control us. That will make us better and stronger than we are when we're in our own strength, when we are living on our own. So oftentimes, if you look up tempered in the, in the dictionary, it's going to tell you it's self-control. 
but it's actually the opposite. It's spirit control. If the spirit controls me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bear the fruit of the spirit, which the Bible just told us is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. I cannot be good, righteous, and truth a part of the Holy Spirit bearing his fruit in and through my life. And you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? It is the attributes and characteristics of God manifest in my life through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. It's God's character being produced in my life. I can probably fake it for a while in my own strength, but I'm not going to succeed at living, truly living that life. And if I'm trying to fake it in my own strength, you know what I'm going to not have? Peace. You know what I'm not going to have? Joy. I'm just going to struggle with those things. Because I I'm, know I'm every day I'm failing. My best efforts, I'm failing at trying to live out the fruit of the Spirit. So what can I do? Yield and allow myself to be tempered by the Holy Spirit so He can produce them in my life. And then they'll truly be in and through our lives. All right. These things are in, uh, we just said that. So when we're walking in the light, I, I already did that. All right, the end. When we're walking in the light, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, producing goodness, righteousness, and truth, verse number 10 says in Philippians 5 that all those things, Ephesians 5, sorry, Ephesians 5.10, our last verse is proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. If we want our lives to be acceptable unto the Lord, we need to walk in the light, bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And the things that we need to put away, that we need to put off, so we can put on the new man, that's what's going to come as a result of that. Us walking in the Spirit, while walking in the light, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and producing goodness, righteousness, and truth through our life. And we'll be acceptable unto the Lord. The Lord will be pleased. I just want to please the Lord with my life. Well, here's a pretty good example of how we can do it. But first and foremost, we have to be His child. We've got to know Him as our personal Savior. Let's go ahead and pray. We'll have a moment of invitation and we'll dismiss. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what we've seen in the pages of your word. And I pray, Lord, that seeds have been planted. I pray they've fallen on good ground in our hearts, in our minds, and that they would take root and you would bear fruit in and through our lives. Lord, uh, you know exactly what we need. You, you had a plan for today and for this message Father, I pray that those who are Christians here would bear your fruit through our lives. I pray we would be yielded to the Holy Ghost, submitted to Him, so that He can bear this fruit, so that the goodness and righteousness and truth that is produced in our life is through the Spirit because of our salvation, not us trying to gain or earn salvation. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray you'd prick their heart and that you'd draw them to yourself. Before we close a prayer this morning, is there anyone that would slip up their hand? We'd just keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed. Is there anyone that would slip up their hand and say, Pastor, 
I don't know for sure that I'm saved. Or maybe you'd even say, I, I know I'm not saved. I've never trusted Christ as my personal Savior. But I want to get it settled. I want to know that one day I will spend eternity with Him. I want to know that I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God and that He can, if I'll yield myself to Him, bear His fruit in and through my life. If you're here today and you'd say, I know I'm not God's child, would you just slip up your hand? How about Christians? Maybe you'd say, yeah, I, I know I need to work on some of these things. You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe God's convicted our hearts and we realize, yeah, I need to, I can't say that I've borne the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And in honesty, all honesty, we can't bear it. The Spirit bears it. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And can I also say that, this? It's the fruit singular of the Spirit. When the Spirit has control of our lives, all these things will be evident, not just one or two of them. When it's just one or two of them, it's us trying to produce them. When they're all present, then it's the fruit of the Spirit. When He has control of our lives, maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we'd say, yeah, the Holy Spirit has not had control of my life, but He needs to. I want Him to. Because I truly want to bring Him glory. I truly want to please God with my life. And the only way for me to do that is to give Him control of my life. I want my testimony before God to be that I, I live in goodness and righteousness and truth. The only way to truly do that is through the Holy Spirit's work bearing His fruit in our lives. Let's go ahead. Uh, we'll just have a few moments of quiet. Folks can pray in your seat if you'd like to. Do business with God, and then we'll dismiss. <coughs> Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for each person that's here. Lord, you know you knew who would be here and who wouldn't. You know what we need. And I pray that, uh, Lord, your word has fallen on good ground. Be with those who couldn't be here. Be with Joe and Rhoda. I know they're a little under the weather. I pray you be with them and help them to get well before next week. Um, I pray for others. Uh, Lord, I just pray you'd work in our hearts and our lives. I pray you'd bless each and every one. Thank you for the folks that are here, for our visitor and um, for those who aren't always able to be here. Lord, I just thank you for them coming today. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to apply what we've heard today. 
And I pray that you would change our lives. Your word would change our lives. And Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise you for the blessings you give us, for your goodness to us. Bless the food to our bodies next door. Bless the fellowship. We ask all these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.